Hey, Matt. Hey, Mike. Shall we do a podcast? We shall. Let's do it. Welcome to Hacking the Gripson. Uh, I am Mike, and I'm here as, well, not as always with Matt. Last last episode, it was just me walking my dog at night with my thoughts. Um, but today, Matt is back, and we have a, uh, a, a, a an interesting idea for an episode that I didn't just think of an hour before now. Definitely not, no. Uh, and that is... Uh, there's this game that I started playing somewhat recently. Uh, it's not a new game by any stretch of the imagination. I looked at the release date. It originally came out uh, over four years ago. Yep. I've uh, been playing it for most of that time. <laughs> yeah, and somehow, like, I'd heard of this game, but I definitely, but I didn't get into it for whatever reason. Uh, but I am into it now, and that game is Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire. Uh, if you're lucky, you'll slay the spire. I've yet to actually slay the the aforementioned spire. I've gotten close, but not I quite. I slay every day. Yeah. yeah you just, Do I slay in the game? No, I don't. <laughs> you save all the <laughs> slang for the spire. So, but what what's uh, what I think is interesting, and what, what, what I think is pertinent to our podcast as a programming development podcast is, uh, we both played this game. Uh, we are not the devs on this game. We did not make Slay the Spire. Those are all, th- all true things. Yeah, but we have definitely made games before, or at least attempted to make games. And so I think we could probably, without being the devs, figure out what it takes to make Slay the Spire. And I think we should spend this episode going over what exactly is Slay the Spire? What is a game? What does it take to make a game? You know, because it's like... When I was a kid and I played video games, I'm like, oh, someday I'm going to make a video game. Yeah, sure. I mean, lots of people had that dream. I didn't know anything about programming, so I had no idea what it took to make a game. Um, I know much more about what it takes to make a game now. And so I think you and I could probably at least come up with a, a, you know, a good idea of what what it would take if we were to make Slay the Spire if it didn't exist. There. There's the pitch. Okay. (laughs) So, so it, what are your, uh, I'm curious, what are your, uh, initial, what's your initial experience with Slay the Spire since I'm, I'm a recent, uh, addict, but you've apparently been with it for a while. I actually have not been playing it the full four years. Uh, I've been playing it since it came out on, uh, the switch. So whenever that was, I, uh, a a friend of mine, he wouldn't stop talking about the game. So I was like, well, I have to check this game out. Um, uh, and I, don't know that I liked it all that much at, at first. I think because I just didn't understand what it was I was supposed to do. And it took several, several tries through the game before I was like, okay, I understand how you're supposed to play the game now. Like what, how, how to make it fun. Because mm-hmm. I was just losing. And I was yeah. like, I, I don't know. Um, I was like, oh, okay. I kind of understand how, how the strategy, it's a deck building game, right? Uh, combined with the and and it's a roguelite and it's like so it's kind of like playing a board game is is the way I I treat it and so it's it's much more of a like uh, as I go through I'll go in um, but I think like from a a game dev standpoint it mm-hmm. you know it doesn't seem overly complex in general the probably the most complex part would be the AI would be my guess 
Yeah. Um, j- just to back up a bit for everybody who's not uh, familiar with some of the terms that we just used or that you just used. Uh, yes, Slay the Spire is a roguelike deck builder, and that this is all coming from their Wikipedia entry. So, uh, uh, you know that you know, I, I assume they're okay with it with, with uh, the devs calling it that. Um, and essentially, what that is is a roguelike is essentially a game that is like the old timey game Rogue, which I never actually played. Uh, that was way way before my time in terms of using a computer. Did you actually ever play Rogue? I don't think I played Rogue proper. I played NetHack. Yes. Which is basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it, and and I think, you know, to put it succinctly, a Rogue-like game is a, is a game where every time you start, you kind of start from square one. You don't, uh, you know, you start from like level one character. You don't have any buffs. You don't have any equipment or whatever. And you basically try to go as long as you can in the world without dying. And if you die, that that gameplay is over and you go back to square one again. So every time you play, you're going back to square one. There's no saving. There's no progress. There's just how well can you do like on a single quarter to use an old arcade reference. Yeah. Uh, and just to, to the other part of roguelites, um, in order to be accurate, cause basically you just described arcade, arcade games, uh, <laughs> yeah. that, is always start over, um, a roguelite or a roguelite. Cause there's all sorts of, <laughs> all sorts of, all sorts of different terminology around that, but yeah. roguelikes, uh, are, it's not the same every time. Right. So like you play yes. Mario, super Mario brothers, you go through that Goomba is always coming at you from the same place. Mm-hmm. If you if you hit exactly the same button presses and exa- at exactly the same time, you're gonna get the exact same experience every single time in Super Mario Brothers. A roguelike, uh, that is not true. It's a procedurally generated map usually, or um, uh, procedurally generated um, maybe like the power ups you get or the class you are in certain things. So it's it's not just um, that it starts over, although that is a key point. Permadeath mm-hmm. of your character is is a key point of rogues, um, but also it it it's a dynamic ish environment in that it changes every time. Right. Thank you. That that is a very good point, and yes, that is a a core foundation of the roguelike. Uh, I believe it's like it's non deterministic. You know, whereas like you said with Mario, you could essentially input all of the things you'd need to do to beat Mario in some kind of scripting language and hit go and it would just beat Mario because all the enemies appear at the same time, all the levels are the same, they have the same jumps and everything, yes. So Slay the Spire is uh, kind of somewhere in the middle of that. I mean, it definitely has the, every time you play it, you're starting over, um, the path that you take through each level is randomly generated. Uh, So like, Mm -hmm. you know, how many monsters you're gonna fight, whether there's a treasure room, whether there's a, a merchant, uh, those are all just determined uh, by the seed. Uh, and that's uh, a lot, I mean, w- probably one of the first times that I was really aware of the the concept of a seed in a video game was Minecraft, where if you want mm-hmm. to make a certain world in Minecraft, you put in the same seed. Uh, same with Slay the Spire. So if you want that particular iteration again, you could put the same seed in. But generally when you play, you just hit go and you get randomness and you see how long you can go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the other part is the deck building part. And a de- yes. yeah, a deck builder, just like a deck of cards. You have 
there's a bunch of different cards that your character can get. And as you play the game, your deck gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Every time you beat an enemy or through some other encounter, you add more cards to your deck. And the whole point is much like a, I guess, poker hand, except much more bigger and complicated. You're trying to get the right combination of cards that will hopefully, you know, make you win. And different cards, different strategies, and you won't always be offered the same cards, so you have to tactically decide which ones to keep, which ones to get rid of, etc. Right. Yeah, and there, you know, there's a whole bunch of strategies of these kinds of games. Uh, and this is true in the board game world as well. Some people want to get way more cards. Some people want to reduce the number of cards they have so they can have just a really tight little... Uh, generally, the, the mechanism by which your deck works, uh, if it works uh, effectively in particular, uh, people will call it the engine of mm. of like the deck engine or whatever, or the game engine. Um, not to be confused with the thing that we would usually call a game engine, right? <laughs> uh, which is the thing that actually renders the game um but uh it's it's more like okay i have tactically i have to decide okay i'm gonna pick up this card or that card Mm -hmm. but you also have to have a strategy of like okay how do these cards play together right oh i've got this one card that hurts me but i've got another card that says anytime i get hurt uh it benefits me oh okay i can play those together and now i've got a cool mechanic Mm -hmm. the the devs on their wikipedia page said that they originally they basically tried to make a game that was somewhere in between Dominion, which is a popular uh, card game, board game, and uh, NetHack. So yeah, essentially like a roguelite with a deck builder. And uh, I mean, I've played, according to my statistics, about 40 hours of this uh, in the last, I don't know, month or two. And uh, it's it's very fun. It's very easy to jump into and play a run. You can stop a run, pause it at any time, go back into it. It's... It's the perfect mobile game. Like, this is not the kind of game that I would want to play on a computer or even a console. I find it perfect on my phone or an iPad that you can just, you know, kind of go in and out however you'd like. Um, yeah, I think on a computer, I would play this in much the same way I would play something like Minesweeper or Solitaire <laughs> back in the day. Right. right. Of like, I am sitting at my computer waiting for something. Mm-hmm. Click, 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 click. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's a very good time filler. Um, okay, so that's Slay the Spire. Uh, it originally came out in 2019 for like computer platforms and consoles, and then in 2020 slash 2021 is when it came out on mobile. I play it through Apple Arcade. That's, you know, that's where I got sucked in. So it is a roguelike deck builder. And so we've kind of, we've said what that is, but really like when you when you're going to make a game, regardless of what kind of game it is. There's a few things that you probably have you have to consider about the game. One of... So I was looking up... Uh, actually, you talked about the engine, and I thought mm-hmm. for sure that this was made in Unity, but it's actually not. It's actually made in this thing that I've never heard before called LibGDX, which oh, is a... I haven't heard of that either. Yeah, it's a free and open source game development application framework just like Unity, just like Unreal, just like Godot, just like, you know, a dozen other ones that are out there. Um, and it's written in Java with some C and C++ components for performance, which is something that games are very uh, aware of, and that's the thing they try to optimize, because generally games have a lot of things going on, and which means there's a lot of uh, graphics that need to move, there's sound that needs to play, there's 
you know, mechanics that need to get done. There's a lot of things on the screen that need to be figured out. And so performance is key much more than, say, I don't know, like a word processor that might be sitting there idle waiting for you to type text in or something. Um, so, yeah, I'd never heard of that. That's interesting that they're using something like that. Uh, I, it, it says that it's cross-platform, so it definitely looks like something much like Unity that you might use to uh, make it for PC, Mac, Linux, but also like iOS and Android. And so that's probably why they chose it. So I, I, I guess what I'm interested in is like, what are the different parts of a game? If I, if I said to you, Matt, list all of the parts of a game that you have to do before you can say, I have made a game, roughly on a high level, what would you say those are? I mean, like at, the, at its most basic, mm-hmm. you have both in the programming and in the gameplay perspe- uh, sense of the word, that like a game loop, mm-hmm. right? Um, so from a programming perspective, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, that's just the loop that kind of goes through and, and drives the next step. If that's the next thing to display, if it's the next logic calculation to make, whatever, that loop that goes on, the game loop. Uh, but then in gameplay uh, terms, when people talk about the game loop, they really just mean like, what, what's the thing I'm doing that's that's fun? <laughs> yeah, uh, that uh, that's a simple way of putting that. Um, so like having the most basic game loop, being able to do something like a level uh, right. in a game. Is that a full game? No. But like before I would ever even before I would be willing to say I have made a game like you can play this. There would have to be some some amount of goal. Right. So it could be a, le- a single level. When I wrote Shut the Box forever ago, it was uh, I had the most rudimentary graphics and no sound whatsoever. Uh, like it was I, I had nothing, but you could play it. Mm-hmm. Right. It kept score. It it had the game loop of like rolling dice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, for a game like Slay the Spire, I guess it would probably be I guess you have to have the game loop, right? So, some ability to play through once, mm-hmm. um, a way of displaying information to the user. So the UI, a mm-hmm. uh, way of taking input from the user. Uh, so that'd be a, you know, game pad or keyboard, mouse, whatever touchscreen. That's the bare minimum. <laughs> uh, to go past that, that's when you start getting into things like graphic, uh, nice graphics, sound, uh, if your game needs it, AI and randomness, I guess. Yes. Uh, I, I w- one of the things I wrote down here is like, what specific challenges does a game like mm. Slay the Spire have to face that like maybe other types of games wouldn't? And I think because it's a deck builder, uh, much like another popular game like Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering, any game that has decks of cards of different abilities that you can mix together in endless combinations has to deal with balance. Yes. And Slay the Spire has multiple characters that you can unlock that have different sets of cards with different play styles. And so this is the kind of game that like, even after you've made it, that's only like half the battle. I I assume a game like this needs tons of quality assurance and testing. Like, Oh, for sure. Lots of different kinds of people have to play the game many, many, many times, especially because it's procedurally generated and there's so much randomness in it. Like it's I mean, the have knowing the seed is is key. So you could have someone else run through the same iteration, but just, you know, have 100 people run through it 100 times and see what happens. And if anybody 
you know, has like an extraordinarily difficult time getting through it or an extraordinarily easy time getting through it. Or if it's not fun, if like the cards, certain card combinations don't work together well. I mean, that's like, you know, like you said, beyond the basic game loop, that's like a logic puzzle that is not really like, it doesn't really have an answer. I mean, there's obviously like it works or it doesn't, but you know, if, if you follow news on something like Hearthstone or even Slay the Spire, like I bet you a lot of their updates are just changing the balance, like slightly tweaking a card's ability because there's so many different combinations that could come up. Anytime you give users or players freedom, <laughs> you're going to have to deal with balance. Risk. Risk right? management. The more restrictive it is, the less you have to do that. Yeah. Like Mario can only do so much. Right. There's not a lot of combinations of moves. Like, I'm jumping, I'm running and then jumping, I am running and jumping while holding a direction. You know, like, there's only so many things. Yeah. So the combinatorially, it's not that big of a, a set of things to have to test. The more variables you introduce, the more things players can change, the more you have to test that. And yeah, it would be really hard. I, I'm a big fan of automated testing, but... You know, like that gets really difficult to do with with the more complex your software is. And if it's a full on video game, it's really hard to do, because then at some point your testing software ends up being as complicated as the thing you're testing. <laughs> yeah, you're like writing a whole meta game to play your game. I, I'm glad you brought up the Mario comparison again, because another challenge that I thought of just for games in general is performance. And like we mentioned before, mm. This game is written uh, in a framework that uses Java. Now, Java is is well known for well, it's it's supposedly well known for its cross platformness. You know, write once, run anywhere. But the problem with that kind of framework is that often performance on you know specific instances of your your application are sacrificed to get that portability, which is why it has those C and C components in it. And those are probably the things that, like, perhaps the animation system is run in or something. Because anything that's going to take a lot of CPU cycles or, or GPU cycles, you want to write in something that's, like, essentially closer to the, the metal as you can't, I mean, save for writing your animation engine in assembly or something. Which people do. <laughs> right, right. I mean, if, if, that's, if, that's, if that's what you care about, if it, and, and like you said, with a game like Mario that doesn't have like the endless combinations but why do people love mario so much because the gameplay like the way that you put the inputs into the game and then things react on the screen and then you see them is so tight like yeah. there's a billion platformers that have been made in the style of mario but do they all have like the gameplay tightness that something that mario does uh probably not because that's actually something that's hard to do uh especially for a game yeah the and, and that also adds to the replayability which is something that you you get almost baked into a roguelike right because it's oh i got a different seed this time right. um but something like mario where it is the same thing every time your your replayability boils down to change challenging yourself right really can i be better at this um and that is also true for a game like slay the spire yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, there's definitely a strategy uh, to learn to get better at it. And I've gotten better at it over the 40 hours I've played, but um, 
uh, I feel like the performance of something like Slay the Spire is not as important because this kind of leads into one of the other things that I want to talk about is like the art and sound of Slay the Spire. So as far as I can tell, the art is like uh, some pre-rendered backgrounds with some animations in the background and then your character I believe is a sprite. I don't know if it's modeled like a 3D model. They they seem like sprites. Okay. Uh, the way they move. Yeah. So I doubt it, but maybe. I mean, it, it seems like a lot of new games, even though they might look two-dimensional, still use like three-dimensional like rendering, but they only show you two and a half dimensions or something. Uh just I don't know. But this seems like sprites. It seems like like your your character is a bunch of you know, uh, images essentially that sometimes are animated between like you're, you know, swinging your sword or using a, a skill and the same with the enemies, you know, they, they move, but it's basically just a bunch of images that they're cycling through. It's not a full three dimensional object with lighting and etc. Um, yeah. You have a little bit of idle animation when no one's doing anything, yeah. which is kind of like swaying usually. Right. And then you've got, I'm attacking now. Right. Or I just got attacked, right? It's like those kind, those kind of animations, and those are you. If you have a, a limited number of like positions that your your character might be in, sprite usually makes more sense than three D modeling. But yeah, you're right. It it does seem like that is more and more common these days. Yeah, and and also when they're sprites, I mean, uh, I you know you can. Usually those are assets that are easier to pull out of the game and use for other things mm-hmm. like memes or something uh, or modding or something like that. Um, so that that's that's, you know, that's how Slay the Spire is made. I think there's, you know, there's been a renaissance of indie development of people using sprites rather than using three dimensional uh, characters, probably just because it's a lot easier to do. I mean, I've never done any 3D modeling anything, let alone game dev. What about you? Uh, very little. Okay. Uh, a little in college and then like once or twice I've messed around with it afterwards. But honestly, I have always preferred my games two dimensional at most. I don't, I don't actually, I find three dimensions to get in the way of gameplay. Really? <laughs> cause you're render, cause you're representing 3d in a 2d environment. Yeah. And it's just never as clear and clean as just having two dimensions. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm it's like Metroidvanias. There's a ton of people out there who are like, yeah, it's got to be three dimensions. And I'm like, they're like Metroid Prime's the best. I'm like, no, Super Metroid's better. <laughs> it's it is it is cleaner. It is more. It's tighter. Uh, like the whole thing is just more precise. D- and I like that in my game. D- does that mean that you're more of a Super Mario World fan than a Super Mario 64 and on fan? Uh, Super Mario Brothers Three is the best oh, Super Mario okay. Brothers game. No. Cl- I will not be taking questions. Don't at me. <laughs> All right. Do not, do not at Matt. Uh, and then the other one, the sound, uh, you know, there, there's different ways that you can do sound. And most games these days are like full digital audio, like a recording of actual instruments being played and Slay the Spire, you know, has kind of a moody orchestral score. Uh, so, you know, when you start up the title screen, it plays a specific sa- a specific track. When you go into the actual game it has a track when you get to a boss it changes one thing i noticed that's very cool about slay the spire that you don't see necessarily in every game even today is that the transitions between the tracks are pretty seamless 
Uh, I mean, you notice this even when you're like playing and you go to a, um, a campfire to rest. Uh, and if you click the rest option as opposed to the smithing action, uh, it does like seamlessly transition into a little, you know, ooh, I'm resting music and then right back into the action again without like a hard stop. Like, oh, we're switching tracks. OK, now we're switching tracks back. Interesting. I I don't. Uh, <laughs> this is why hit, I'm bringing it up. for this. <laughs> Yeah, you'll hate me for this. I almost never listen to the music in a game like Slay the Spire. Anything, most casual game, most mobile games, I have never heard the music for or the sounds. I because I'm usually playing them while I'm watching TV, which I'm listening to something else. Yeah. No, and you know that, that's fine. Honestly, I, I've you know I, I've had some some times in the past. You know, as someone who likes to make sound. I've had to come to the realization, even for myself, that as integral to a an interactive experience as sound can be, it's not the most important thing, uh, especially with a game, especially with a mobile game that you're just kind of playing, you know, at, not, not absentmindedly, but, you know, it's not something that you're like VR headset in, I am not, I'm forsaking all other things for this experience, Um Gameplay is key, you know? If if Slay the Spire had, like, the best graphics and the best sound you've ever heard in your life, but the gameplay loop was boring, you wouldn't play it. Exactly, yeah. So I, I think it's interesting, because if I think back to when I was a wee child playing video games, I, can, I could, like, sing back <laughs> just about every video game song from those era, like... All the Metroid songs, all the Super Mario Brothers songs, like all those things, mm-hmm. all the Legend of Zelda ones, right? And these days, less so. But it's because, you know, I'm a busy adult and I don't, <laughs> I'm usually multitasking. As a kid, I was only playing the games. Yeah. Um, and there's still games that that's true for, right? Like I can't play most of the new Zelda games. I could not possibly play while doing something mm-hmm. else. Because they just require too much attention. Baldur's Gate 3, too much attention. Slay the Spire, at this point, I've played it enough where it can be kind of a background thing while I'm doing something else. Yeah. Well, and that that actually brings up a good point in that uh, it is a turn-based game, not a real-time game. And uh, yes. I think that's an important d- distinction to make because they're, you know, I, when you think of a, when you think of Mario... Mario is a real-time game. Like, as soon as you hit start, the world starts interacting. And if you just stop, uh, if you stop paying attention while that Goomba is on the screen, you know, it's going to hit you and not wait for you to, you know, resume your attention. Yeah. And even if you'd managed to kill all the enemies and were just holding still, there's a timer. (laughs) Right. And there's a timer. Yeah. Well, I feel like the timer in Mario really comes from its... uh, arcade-ness. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like that, you yeah. know, it, was, it wasn't about making this experience to keep you in. It was just about, like, testing your metal, you know? Like, that's that's all that mattered. Get more quarters out of you. That's what it was. Exactly. Get more quarters. And and I think, you know, that's something with game development over the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years, where they've, they've, they've gone from, like, quarter-munching arcade games to experiences with high resolution graphics and you know full theatrical soundtracks you know it it is more about like keeping you in an experience and not just 
something that you're going to throw a quarter in for a minute and then leave. But now now you've got the uh, microtransactions that are taking over the quarters, and so then you do start to get back into that. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, game development, uh, if you want to make a living on it, is still part of that nasty capitalism thing, and uh, you know companies will find ways to get the cash out of your hands. You know, one other thing that I wanted to ask you, Matt, just because I'm not sure what the the answer is, is what kind of data structures do you, would you say, are used for something like Slay the Spire? Like, what's unique Ooh, about a really interesting question. the way that they would handle your character and your cards and the state of the game? Yeah. I think it's probably multiple things, right? Like, um... Obviously, you have the ind- you know your individual player, mm-hmm. right? So you've got what character am I playing as, and then whatever rules govern them. Oh, this one has orbs that float around it. This one is able to have poison or whatever, right? right. Um, you've got that. Then you've got what cards do they have? So you have like their deck. So you'd have a data structure that is just like a a list of cards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then each individual card is, you know, I would have a class representing those so that you could do some inheritance of things or, like, use decorator, probably, patterns. Um, so you could be like, ah, this does this and this and this. Um, then you have to have the data structure that is the game itself. You have to have one for representing uh, an individual, like, level. Mm-hmm. Um, and variants on that, like the resting sites or the shops, uh, treasure chests. As well as all of the items you could pick up, each of those would have its own type of thing. So, you, like, just just from the player, like, just from an individual game, you you'd have okay, spun it up. What player am I? Um, what cards do I have initially? What relics do I have initially? Mm-hmm. Relics just an item that runs all. It's the like time a passive buff or debuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then what what does the game map look like? Right, what rooms are there going to be? Um, what bosses are at the end of each room. And I, th- I don't know if it generates all, uh, all of the levels, um, or at the beginning mm-hmm. and it's like, I just know this or if it, uh, cause I've never, I've never bothered to look, <laughs> um, or, or if it just, uh, generates it once you hit that next level, right? You, like you beat the first mm-hmm. boss, you beat act one boss and you go on. I think I think it just generates at that point, but it it must be deterministic based on the seed. Yes, I I would say so because otherwise each level might have their own seed or something like each act yeah. or whatever. I think I think the most complicated thing, uh, and this might just be complicated in my mind because I'm not sure how I would go about doing it, uh, would be the uh, enemy AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that is actually relatively simple. Um, they just kind of follow a pattern. Yeah. It's like this enemy does this and then this and then this and then this. Um, and they don't necessarily have a overall strategy. It just looks that way. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they don't seem, I mean, the monsters in Slay the Spire, not to generalize about all games, but yeah, they don't seem to have reactions to what you do. Like it, like if they're low on right. health, they don't change to a defensive strategy or something. There are some, but they have like, they have an explicit state that says this character does a different thing when it when you hit it too hard or whatever. Right. Like it's like it's a it's a it's a trait that they apply to that could be applied anywhere. It's like anyone with this trait has behaves this way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how complicated it would be beyond, you know, sort of, it would sort of be like, do you remember, I think it was Final Fantasy, uh, I don't know, 11 or 12 or something like that. They changed the battle system to where you could essentially like create macros for your team and so you did not have to individually put everybody's command in. You just kind of came up with a general, here's how you should behave and then go. And, and so, like, if you get low on health, use a healing potion. Otherwise, attack. Or if somebody else oh, is low. Some of, the, old, some of the older, like, uh, isometric RPGs, like Baldur's Gate, uh, had, had the ability to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Of, like, what is your, what's your baseline behavior? Right. Um, are you are you aggressive? Are you defensive? Are you doing healing buffs? Right. That's interesting. I I like that idea. I I would love that more in games. Uh, the ability to, like Baldur's Gate three, which is the game I'm playing the most of now. Um, I would love the ability to say, here is how you behave. <laughs> like I would like to, I'd love to like write a script or something mm-hmm. that just you go do that and just let me worry about my character. So then it would be more like a D and D experience where. I, I'm only worrying about myself. Right. And I have to think about anything else. That could be kind of fun. But now Slay the Spire, I don't think would benefit from that as much because it's a single player game. And that's, you yes. only have to worry about your inputs. And if you automated your inputs, like, are you even playing the game at that point? What if you, right? What if you had an AI play it, but you gave the information to the AI about how to play right. it and then... Like, are you playing it? Yeah. This is the same conversation we had about art. Yeah. Well, it kind of, yeah, it kind of comes back to like, do you want to be the soldier or do you want to be the the commander? The general. Yeah, the general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I mean, that's one, that's definitely another consideration just to kind of go back to the general gist of this episode of like, if you're making a game, how many players can play at one time? changes the game a lot and a game like slay the spire is a single player you only have to worry about what your your inputs are but as soon as you add other people uh like on a like a multiplayer game uh you know like you know world of warcraft or something like that the programming for something like that just goes up exponentially i assume to i mean not not to mention not just multiple inputs that have to be synced but synced across a network you know, Slay the Spire is all local. You know, all your inputs are going into your phone or your console, whereas, you know, something like World of Warcraft have to sync up, you know, hundreds and thousands of people at the same time to make sure that what they do makes sense to everybody else at every second kind of a thing. Yeah. And don't even <laughs> don't even worry about the, <laughs> the idea of balancing there. It's so much worse on like an when you have multiplayer doing balancing, because then you take all those variables we talked about before mm-hmm. and just it's increases exponentially because now you've, you don't just have one person doing crazy things. You're like, how do these two different people doing crazy things at the same time interact? And then if you go in the MMO, Oh <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah, like you said, the more variables and the more optimi- uh, customizations that you are, the, the more, autonomy that you give to every player uh the harder it gets so yeah the slay the spire is definitely like i feel like i don't know would you say that if someone were to make a slay the spire kind of game or just like a deck building roguelike kind of game like is that like an intermediate game project 
versus, or is that advanced or? I think from a game engine side of things, I would consider it beginner to intermediate. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I think it's fairly straightforward where it gets complicated is, is making it good, <laughs> you know, like programming wise, I don't think it's that hard. I've, the first thing I usually write when I pick up a new programming language is a deck of cards. Like I, hmm. like I, I create that cause it's a, it's a good test bed for classes and enums and like, it just gives me a whole bunch of things I, I can do at once. Um, and it, it, cause you, I have to have something in mind to learn something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's usually what I go with. And then, you know, so the g- deck management straightforward, uh, enemy AI, I think we pretty much established just scripted, not too hard. Uh, generating the levels is possibly the most complicated thing that you would have to code up. I mean, and then there's making the graphics pretty and the music, yeah, uh, nice and all that yeah. stuff, which is its own set of complications. Yeah, ma- making nice art that's consistent and music that's nice and consistent and that all interlock with each other. Yeah, I was thinking about your your um, your project uh, Mazedal that you were working on at one point, Mm -hmm. I feel like, I mean, would you say that, you know, just generating a maze is, is hard because I mean, Slay the Spire, it's, I'd say it's pretty simple. Like the thing it's generating, it's like, okay, how many enemies and a few different paths and then randomly toss one of those out and put a shop in, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but compared to making a maze that works and is fun, that seems a lot harder. Yeah, I, I think a maze is more complicated because these are just paths. Yeah. Um, and I would assume they actually probably work. I wonder, I, I'm not sure which way they work, but I bet they work from the top, from the boss down to the beginning as opposed to the other way around. But it could really be either yeah. way. Because um, it, it makes more sense to me of saying, oh, I have three branches that come in here and then. You know, splitting off occasionally is a more compl- is is a less complicated thing than joining up occasionally. Yes, that's a very good um, point. And then it's just a rule of like, okay, everybody at level one is a monster. Level two, you've got randomness, and it's like fifty percent question mark room, fifty percent monster yeah. room. Level, you know, uh, yeah, it is levels. Yeah, because you go up the right. level. Yeah, you're going upstairs, steps um, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and each one of those, you know. Can just be fairly straightforward rules. Yeah. Um, how many how many columns is it gonna? Or how many how many levels are you gonna have? How many floors? Yeah. That's what they call them. How many floors are you gonna have in in each act? And what's the percent chance of each type of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a hundred percent chance it's gonna happen somewhere on the map, and at any given time, there's a fifty percent chance of it showing up in this room or whatever. Yeah. Uh, now I want to make a text. Now I want to make See, a text-based that's version con- of uh, Slay the Spire. I think my unconscious uh, impetus for this episode was was like, you know, I, I I've been working on this like uh, uh, ice skating game, and I you know I got to a, a point where I'm like, okay, this this functions. It's not fun, but it functions, and I'm like, okay, what else could I do? And I've definitely never tried to create anything like this, but it kind of sounds fun the more I talk about it. You know, just just the um, the proof of concept, like the, the the core skeleton game loop, 30 seconds, is it fun kind of a test, you know? I feel like there's two really fun aspects of this game from a writing perspective okay. to me. One is coding and one is game development. And, and one is from like a, not game development, but game just design. Like game theory and like 
build, yeah, game design yeah. Uh, aspect. The coding part of me wants to make a generic framework for doing a Slay the Spire like. Yeah. You know, you've got <clears throat> a character with some attributes, you've got a deck of cards that they can have, you've got types of monsters, etc. And like, and like, okay, there's my engine, and then just you have, you know, just instantiate some classes or whatever to make it go add some graphics on top of it like that part would all be relatively have a generic interface for all that and then the other part of me wants to design a really fun game in that Mm -hmm. engine that all sounds amazing and i'm 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 feeling the creative uh the creativity tingling but i'm also uh I'm, i'm thinking about okay but where 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 does the uh where do the roadblocks come up and whenever i think about doing a game like this it's like, it's the content. You have to make all the items. Mm-hmm. You have to make all the monsters. You have to make all the cards. And that's like, that's, that's, that's barely game development. That's just game design. That's just creative design. And it's, it's hard to come up with that stuff and not make it generic as heck. You know, so. Well, I think that's where you get someone... Uh, like if I was doing, if I was making a game and it had music, I would not consider doing the music myself. I would say, Hey, Mike, uh, <laughs> but, but we both you want to write some music for this. I was thinking this, this level would be really moody. Right. But you- we both have the issue of, okay, but what about the art? Like, cause we're yeah. both programmer. Well, I have people. a friend who I would have, there's a friend oh, I well, would there tap you go. for that. <laughs> okay, but 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 how do you feel about making the cards and making all the items and their descriptions? Oh, I love that oh. idea. That that part's super okay. fun for me. Like that's that's exactly up my alley. Okay. Well, uh, everybody listening to this, we we are not. Uh, th- this is not a segue into anything. But uh, if something happens because of this episode, you know where its or- origin was. <laughs> I think that's I think that's pretty much uh, the points I wanted to hit. Did you have any other thoughts about game dev or uh, things you wanted to mention? Um, nothing I can think of. Uh, go out and play Slay the Spire if you haven't. You'll probably like it. And uh, another one that's uh, we're not sponsored. <laughs> yeah, if only. Uh, one that I really got into before Slay the Spire actually was uh, Dicey Dungeons, mm. made by the same guy who made uh, VVVVVV and uh, ah. Super Hexagon. So is it really difficult? Because that sounds no, like no, kind of it's not I... really difficult. Actually, Dicey Dungeons is a very approachable, um deck building roguelite uh roguelike i think i may have played it at some point um and it then it fell off my radar it's probably on my phone yes i'm pretty sure i bought it on the computer and then i bought it on the switch and then i bought it on my phone and uh, i only stopped playing it because i ran it through so many times that i just i kept dying like i basically got through the content to the point where i couldn't get through the harder stuff um so i mean if i stop playing slay the spire at least for a while, that'll be the same reason. I mean, that, that is a, that, that's a whole nother discussion, the difficulty curve of a game, uh, and how hard to make it and et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, everybody has their own tolerance about how hard a game is. Make it configurable. It could be configurable, but you know, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know if a configurable difficulty for, uh, a roguelike like this makes sense. They have it actually. Oh. When you get a little further. Oh, you, you, okay. Yeah, I mean, once you beat, once you beat with one with a character, you can then increase the difficulty on subsequent playthroughs for that okay. character. It's kind of like New Game Plus, okay. only it goes up, I think, like 20 levels. <laughs> well, maybe. New, I haven't gotten past three of those. Uh, maybe someday. Not yet. Um, 
Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, I think that about covers it. Hopefully, yeah, go out, play a Slay the Spire, pl- play a deck-building roguelike. It's a very fun type of game. Try making one. Try making a basic proof of concept. It, it could be fun. Maybe I'll do it. Uh, that, but that'll wrap it up for this episode. Uh, if you want to listen to more of our episodes, you can go to hackingthegrepson.com. We try to come out uh, once every two weeks on Wednesday. And until next time, we now return you to your regularly scheduled lives already in progress 